Good morning, church. Today we are ready for Nehemiah chapter 5, but before we get started, I want to review the first four chapters of Nehemiah. Now, so far, we have uh, done the first four chapters, and they focus on getting started on rebuilding the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. Nehemiah gathers the Jewish folk there, and he convinces them that it's a good idea, and he convinces them that they can do it, and they start to rebuild. And the process uh, gets complicated, but he walks them through it, and they see action being taken. They see progress as the wall uh, starts to be raised and as the gates are put together. And then they face opposition. Folks from outside of Jerusalem uh, threaten to stop the building, threaten to harm them if they continue the building. But Nehemiah convinces the folks that it is God whom they must serve, and it is God's plan that Jerusalem be rebuilt. He convinces them that it's a good thing, a God thing, for the city of Jerusalem to be safe and to be secure. And so they continue building even through opposition. And last week we discussed a little bit of that opposition comes from within them within the community of Jewish folk because they begin to complain with the work and they push on. They push on through that. This week, we're going to discuss another opposition that comes from within the community. Chapter 5 doesn't specifically focus on the building of the wall or the putting up of the gates, but rather it, it focuses on the community of the Jewish folks and their ability to do something or to not do something. Their ability to move past the problem in which they face, which we will see is overcoming self-defeat. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would guide us in understanding and applying your word. Lord, I thank you so much for the the ability to gather here focused on you, to put you first in our lives. And I thank you for your son that you uh, gave him as a sacrifice for us so that we could have eternal salvation through him, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. And we are so grateful but that because of that, we are able to build things that will increase your kingdom will bring others into your kingdom, God. We pray that that will be the result of every message that we hear in this church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A long time ago, there was an old Cherokee man. He had a grandson. And he was teaching his grandson about life. He sits down on the ground around the fire with this young boy and he tells the boy there is a fight going on inside of me. It's a terrible fight, he tells the boy, between two wolves 
one wolf is evil. This wolf is anger. He is envy. He is sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued to tell his grandson, the other wolf is good. He is joy. He is peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. He tells the boy the the same fight that is going on inside of me is also going on inside of you and inside of every single other person. The grandson thought about this for a minute, pondered it, and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee man simply replied, the one that you feed. We face a problem today that threatens to prevent us from increasing God's kingdom, from building. There are three questions that I want to ask you. First one is, what derails you from accomplishing your goals? You can probably make a long list of things that derail us that prevent us from accomplishing goals, and that may take a little bit of time, but it's worth doing. The second question is, how do you sabotage your own progress? How do you you sabotage your own progress? Now, that one can be a little more complicated. Take a little more thought, a little bit more time. But again, extremely worthwhile. The last question is more simple. Are you your own worst enemy? Now, if you were to ask me that, I would say absolutely yes. I am my own worst enemy. Thus, we have the problem of overcoming self-defeat. Now let's read the first five verses of Nehemiah chapter 5. We'll get into this problem. Verse 1. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families and we need more, more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, We have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy 
and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Now what seems to be the problem in these first five verses? I think that it is hunger. Hunger. We must pay attention to what we are hungry for. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or is your appetite driven by greed? You know, hunger motivates us. People are motivated by hunger. And if you're not careful, you can become a glutton. The nobles in Jerusalem lacked concern or compassion for their fellow Jews because of their hunger to increase their wealth and power. Now, hunger, we speak of, uh, it's an easy thing to relate to because all of us get physically hungry for food. And we need and we want to have the tastiest thing to eat. But when we think of terms, in terms of non-food that we are hungry for, things like greed or cravings that may come in uh, many different flavors like revenge or praise, success, beauty, lust, perfection, maybe gossip. All of these are hungers. Uh, Proverbs 18 verse 8 says that rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Just one example of a hunger that poses a problem. So we must pay attention to what we are hungry for. You see, the pull of the flesh to satisfy that hunger can lead you into sin. And that sin works against the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says to be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 through 17 So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your own good or out your good intentions. As I said, uh, hunger motivates people. When a person is starving, they become desperate enough to compromise what is most valuable and precious. Uh, These people that we just read about in the text, they mortgaged their family farm. They borrowed money that they knew they were not going to be able to pay back the interest that the nobles and the officials Uh, were charging on the loans made it impossible for the the poor folk to stay afloat, let alone get ahead. And how can you build up when you are being pushed down? How could they continue to build on the wall to 
put together the city of Jerusalem when they can't even afford to feed their own children. The Jewish people were divided at this point. The gap between the wealthy and the poor became larger and larger until there was an us and a them mentality. Two separate divisions of the community. Division within a group is a sure way to experience corporate self-defeat. The poor become so desperate that they sold their own children just to have enough money to keep themselves going. And I don't know how you get to that point. It still happens around the world today in different places. And uh, poverty puts people in this uh, no-win circumstance. And I don't think we can truly comprehend what that's like. At least I pray that we never have to comprehend that. What it's like to put uh, one of our children into a place that's unsafe, that's out of our control, to sell them just so that we can keep our other children alive for a few more days. You can't get any more defeated than this. Your survival at the expense of your future. Social justice is the word that is used to describe these kind of issues and injustices today there are all kinds of programs that uh, are are put together and and built to end uh, things like poverty and to provide uh, basic necessities in America the idea of a basic necessity I believe has been warped many luxuries have now been deemed necessities such as cell phones cars, air conditioning. And there's a division about the best solution to solve social justice issues. There is a great division between the socialist mindset where the government should be responsible to take care and to support and provide for the poor. And that division between those who believe that you get what you work for. America, turns out, is divided just like the Jewish folk were. But the real problem? It isn't poverty. The real problem isn't gun violence or war. The real problem isn't economics. The real problem is sin. And the only way to rebuild the walls and the gates of our society is to address the sin that drives these issues. Too many people are spiritually starved. We become desperate and hopeless by starving ourselves of God's Word. We're not meant to live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. If we're not feeding on God's word, we lose our biblical worldview just like an anorexic loses weight. We become weak and susceptible to a distorted perception 
of what reality is. Without being nourished by Scripture, we are likely to sell ourselves into slavery of sin instead of living in freedom by the Spirit. Psalms chapter 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In Isaiah chapter 55, he says, uh, you don't have to be rich to get this gift of eternal life. And Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. It doesn't cost any money. It's free. We do not want to be so focused on our building projects that we neglect the well-being of our families. We need to be taking care of our own, both physically and spiritually. Buildings and ministry, outreach and evangelism, all these things are great, but they should not be pursued at the expense of broken down and defeated families. Building marriages and families is a priority and is key to the success of all other building projects. How did Nehemiah overcome the appetite of greed among the nobles and the starvation among the poor that was threatening to end the rebuilding of Jerusalem? Let's read verses 6 through 8 to find out. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery. How often must we redeem them and they had nothing to say in their defense what does Nehemiah do he confronts them so confrontation is how we deal with this problem he heard and he was angry scripture says very angry now this is righteous anger. This is not the same kind of anger that, that Sambalot had in the last chapter. Sambalot was angry about God's plan moving forward, about Jerusalem getting stronger so that uh, he and his uh, evil armies couldn't take advantage of Jerusalem. This is what he was angry about, and that was an evil anger, and that led him to sin. If you remember, he uh, began to mock the Jewish folk, and he began to uh, plan attacks against them. But Nehemiah's anger is righteous anger. He was angry about sin. They were charging interest, the Jewish folk, against the Jewish law. Exodus uh, chapter, um, chapter 22, verse 25 tells us that uh, 
it is against the law for a Jewish person to charge interest to another Jewish person. You see, charity is not for gaining a profit. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a money lender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. They weren't to charge interest. But when Nehemiah got angry about this, because they should have known not to do this, he didn't let his anger cause him to sin. James chapter 1 verse 19 says to understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Not allowing your anger to take control. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 Uh, It tells us to not let anger control you, to not let the sun go down while you are still angry. We see that in our text here, in uh, that Nehemiah, he thought it over first. He was angry, and then he thought about it. Then, after he had thought about it, he spoke out two important things that we get from this. Uh, Nehemiah, number one, uh, didn't act instantly on his anger. When we do that, it's almost always wrong. Uh, Then, uh, when he had thought about it for a little bit, he didn't let the sun go out on it. He didn't just let it pass by without doing anything. He stood up and he spoke out. He rebuked them. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The difference between Nehemiah and the nobles and the officials is that Nehemiah's anger was good, and when he called them out, he was doing it for God's plan. He operated out of the Spirit and not out of the sinful nature. He didn't think he was too important like the nobles did. Uh, They wanted to charge interest to increase their own personal situations. Nehemiah confronted them and was intentional about not exploiting the fellow Jews. He didn't think of himself as more important than the lower class. He shared their burden. Listen, it's our responsibility to confront sins with our within our own body of believers here. 
because if we turned a blind eye and allow the sin to continue to grow, then it will destroy. It will be self-defeating to our purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. The nobles and the officials, they were being counterproductive to God's plan. They're preventing people from being free. You see a glimpse of redemption in here. Maybe perhaps more than just a glimpse. It says, do not become enslaved again. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 tells us, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you are that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, this can be a difficult thing in our lives. Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. This uh, text sounds like it's, it's talking to the Jewish folk there, and it, it is. But think about in, in your personal life, when you have uh, bowed your head to God and have made a covenant with Him and or have told Him, man, I know that I did things wrong, uh, but I'm not going to do it again. And then you turn around and end up doing it again. Or think about it this way. Maybe uh, you know that God loves you. You know that you're a child of His, but you forget that, and then you act in a way that uh, is self-defeating. And then you forget that God loves you. You forget that redemption. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11 is a very vivid image. It says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Why would the Jewish folks want to go back to slavery? And if we view the Jewish folks as one, as one community, then it makes sense. The poor folk, they had no choice seemingly because the rich folk were oppressing them. But as a group, as a community, why would they want to continue in this path, go back to the way, the, the bad way, when this is the very thing that they are building the walls back up to prevent, to be free. But they continue uh, selling themselves into slavery. <clears throat> I think about this in my own life. Uh, fighting a, a, a self-defeat. You know, think about those things. We all have funny things that uh, we do and then we realize, <laughs> I, I shouldn't have done that because, uh, boy, well, I remember when I... Uh, told myself, boy, never again would I do that. Uh, perhaps two weeks ago, I think, um, I, I had a problem that I had to solve because of one of those very situations. In the past, uh, I'd had trouble with, uh, with bulls. I have some cattle, not very many cattle, not enough to keep uh, a bull satisfied for very long, but I would rent a bull, and my fence is about like my vehicles it, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't work very well and uh, pretty soon uh, 
the bull will get out of the fence and into the neighbor's cattle. And for some reason, the cheap bulls that I used to rent weren't approvable for the neighbor's uh, fine Angus cattle. And so he would always get very mad. And I told myself after, after he cussed me out for half an hour one time that I would never again uh, rent a bull or have a bull on my property until I fixed my fence. Well... I guess I returned back to my own vomit uh, because there was this bull that one of my buddies uh, was willing to loan me and I was excited about it. This is a really good bull and I decided, yeah, why don't we give this a try again? For too long, he was done with my cattle and into the neighbor's, uh, into the neighbor's pasture. And as I, as I had my girls there with me, um, pushing this bull, really nice bull, by the way, this part of the reason that I was convinced to do it, the greatest bull ever, um, we was able to herd him, just the three of us, all the way across a, a, a 60-acre field to the gate to get into the um, trailer, which was amazing because I've never had one that good. But as he stood right there in the gate to get in the trailer, he wouldn't move anymore. And uh, the girls and I, I was even pushing on him. And I heard some of you guys tell me before that you can get a hold of that tail and twist it up or something. And if you do it just right, that he can't kick you. I don't know. Maybe I heard that wrong. Um, <laughs> and and I, I didn't get kicked. But as I put pressure on that thing, and as my girls were, by the way, uh, they were very courageous, were putting their shoulders into him, this nice, big, huge probably 5,000 pound bull uh, trying to push him out then he starts to get get a little stir crazy he starts to turn his head back and forth and and decides that he doesn't want to be there and turns and boy there's nothing we could do about it Uh, at that moment right there you know nothing bad happened he just went the other way and we had to get him a different way I thought to myself I told myself several years ago I would never do this again without my fence being built back up. Boy, the things we do, even though we say we're not going to do them again. And so the Jewish folk, boy, they, they should have known not to continue to do what leads their fellow people into slavery, but they did. They did. You know, the nobles of and officials' response after Nehemiah called them out, after he spoke up, their response is, the scripture says, they had nothing to say. They had no defense. They, had, they just stood there. As Nehemiah lectured them and asked them about it, they didn't say anything. Shrugged their shoulders. They were indifferent to their sin. If we are not motivated to repent, then we will live in a cycle of defeat. So we must be persistent. Verses 19 through 13. Actually, verses 9 through 13. Then I pressed further. What, are you, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, 
have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest that you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. And then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you from this form, uh, like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Be persistent in the, the uh, plea for righteousness. You know, he calls them to fear God. Larry mentioned something earlier about fearing God. You know, it's, it's as if this is a taking God seriously, fearing God. We can fear God or we can fear everything else. It's your choice. Fear God or fear everything else. Because when you fear God, there's nothing left to fear after that. There's no need to fear anything else. Don't give the enemy a reason to mock you. Persistence pays off. The nobles and the officials, they agree to give back what they had taken and they agreed to not charge interest anymore. There's a fellow in history named William Wilberforce. Maybe you know his story. He was born in 1759. And uh, he won an election to Parliament in 1780, where he formed a lasting uh, friendship with William Pitt in Britain. And he began to reflect deeply on his life. And at Easter, 1786, he had experienced a spiritual rebirth. He abstained from alcohol and practiced a rigorous self-examination, as he believed a serious Christian should. He abhorred the socializing that went along with uh, politicking. He worried about the temptations at the table, uh, the endless dinner parties which he thought were full of vain and useless conversation. They disqualified me for every useful purpose in life, he said, wasted my time, impair my health, and fill my mind with thoughts of resistance before and self-condemning, self-condemnation afterwards. He began to see his life's purpose. He said, my walk is a public one, he wrote in his diary. My business in this world, and I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which providence seems to have assigned me. He became absorbed with the issue of slavery, William did. And later he wrote, uh, so enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable, so non I can't pronounce that word irremedi there's no remedy for it um, 
was the trade, the slave trade's wickedness appear in my <clears throat> own mind that it was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequence be what they would. I, from this time, determined that I would never rest until I had effected, effected its abolition. The pathway to abolition was blocked by vested interests, parliamentary filibustering, enhanced uh, bigotry, and international politics, uh, slave unrest, personal sickness, and political fear. Other bills introduced by Wilberforce were defeated in 1791 and 92 and 93, 97, 98, several years after that, even to 1805. But he persisted, and in 1807, his anti-slavery efforts finally bore fruit. Slavery was abolished in the British Empire at that point due to William Wilberforce's persistence. You might be thinking of a New Testament story. Remember uh, the man Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. And uh, when Jesus found him and had done the same thing that Nehemiah did to these folks, uh, Zacchaeus decided that he was going to right his wrong and paid back even more than he had taken. The folks in our text here uh, finally decided to uh, turn from their old ways and they praised the Lord. Amen, they said. So be it. We agree. Because Nehemiah persisted in convincing them of their wrongs and telling them of what God wanted them to do. In the last part of this chapter, Nehemiah sets an example of successful leadership that it enabled them, enabled Jerusalem to finish the rebuilding project. Verses 14 through 19. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 12th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, Neither I nor my officials drew on their official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy, heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all of my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And even ten days were needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, O oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for doing it. A point that we can gather from this is that leaders go without 
in order that their followers can, can gain. Nehemiah went without. Nehemiah went without the governor's allowance. He excused himself from... He did not excuse himself from the manual labor. He worked on that wall and the gates. And he didn't ask for favors from the local government. Nehemiah looked for God for his looked to God for his reward. Boy, when I look around our church, I see this going on here, this type of leadership that Nehemiah is offering. You know, I think of our land that we bought to put our new building and how much it would have cost to hire a dozer or an excavator to come in there and to uh, level the ground and, and pull up the, the, the roots, root balls and, and haul them off. And we have folks here who are acting as leaders that are uh, donating their time. I, I, I see uh, uh, people working on our, on our new uh, youth facility. They're using their time and their equipment and their tools um, to spend hours building something that our youth will gain from. And I see uh, ladies cooking food to keep us fed, probably the most important part of any project, um, so that we can continue to work. And I see people working on a church, by the way. Uh, Joseph and B aren't here, but uh, I, it's as if we hired a professional landscaper to uh, clean up out back. Everything is is looking great. You know, you guys, you, you do the work and you go without asking to be recognized. And look to God for your reward. We want to build and empower more servants like that. More servant leaders like Nehemiah. And even more so, like Jesus. You see, Jesus went without. He went without a home. He said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Jesus didn't have a home. He went without a normal life. You know, Jesus didn't have a wife or kids. Scripture says that his life was cut off early without a heritage. Jesus went without a trial and a lawyer and without justice he did not defend himself because the prize set before him was you and I when he was offered wine vinegar something to dull the pain he refused that and best of all Jesus went without sin he did that so that his sacrifice would be perfect and sufficient to cover all of ours so that we could gain eternal life, so we could gain that home in heaven. Jesus considered us his reward, and that was enough. As we work on building, building our, our body of Christ, as we work on furthering God's kingdom, we must protect and fight against self defeat. 
we must overcome self-defeat. There's a battle going on inside of every one of us. Who are we going to feed? Which wolf will we be feeding? Are we feeding the wolf who is going to destroy us? Are we feeding God's word so that we can be productive in building for God? You see, we have victory because of what God has done for us. And we have victory over the devil. We have victory over the roadblocks. And we have also victory over our, our self-defeat thoughts. And we'd be negative. And we'd be uh, detrimental to our own progress. We can have defeat and victory over that because of what he did. So I invite you to come to Jesus. Not when you get uh, everything perfect. Not when things are good, but just as you are. No prerequisites, no certain requirements. Just come to him and offer up everything and all that you are just to him this is what he asks of us it's what he wants of us why not do that today let's pray Lord Jesus I thank you for the gift of eternal salvation I thank you for Nehemiah's example Lord, I ask that you would help us to overcome the struggle within us so that we wouldn't let it prevent us from doing your will. Lord, I pray for everyone here, God, that they would have the energy to do what it is that you require of us. pray your blessing on us as we go. In Jesus' name.